It's 12 o'clock in Frisco, Texas, and it's time for Smoker Broker Radio with Robert Mesh, a.k.a. The Smoker Broker. Robert is the owner of Small World Realty and has employed hundreds of real estate agents in his 17-year career. He has instructed and mentored over 10,000 real estate agents at the highly acclaimed Champions School of Real Estate and is considered an expert in Texas residential realty. Robert is also an advocate of true entrepreneurial spirit and has helped many to transition from corporate America into the world of self-employment. And now live from the studio to your world, The Smoker Broker. Hey, welcome to Smoker Broker. I'm Robert Mesh, and I am the guy they call Smoker Broker. Hope everybody's doing well. Happy whatever day it is that you watch this. Most of our stuff is on archive, but hope everybody is doing well. You know, I do go by Smoker Broker, and we do typically make this about uh, real estate, but we are coming off uh, the World Championship this past weekend. So that was something that is a little, I guess, better uh, or quite kind of cool for us because we don't do that very often. Uh, and it does kind of embrace the name uh, while we do real estate and have a little bit of barbecue on the side. Certainly not my true profession, but had a blast out there in Kansas City with the guys at the American Royal. That is considered to be the primo uh, barbecue competition in the world. So uh, a little bit of personal stuff as we start off the show there. That was great. I was telling the guys just a minute ago that we, you know, finished in the middle of the pack, but uh, we did have a 17th place uh, finish in sausage. And, you know, with uh, that amount of people and a lot of the world's best, that was something really encouraging for us. So uh, we were super uh, excited about that. Love going through right now in the real estate world, probably the craziest real estate market that we've seen in quite some time, but in a good way, not the weird, crazy way that we typically uh, look at stuff. We know we're usually more bothered or concerned with what's going on or what's happening. And you still have a lot of that right now. You still have a lot of the somewhat negativity or worries about what's going on. But in all honesty, things are going very well right now. We are heading in the direction that we want to. And it's a lot more positive than most people would believe. You know, we're coming off of a, you know, a, a COVID pandemic that's finally, they say the pa- pandemic's done, which is, it, it is, it's there, it's, you know, it's out there now, but it's anything like normal pieces for us. So that's out of our way. We embrace a market that went skyrocketed through the roof where we had hundreds of offers and multiple offers and, you know, people making tons of money and, on the positive side, but on the negative side, we have buyers that can't even, you know, get their, uh, get that, get a house. And these are people that make $200,000 a year. So, you know, you have the American dream threatened in the same euphoria. And that's wild when that happens. Well, thankfully a market coming down is actually helping that. The market coming down is actually balancing it out. And for when people start referring to the market, uh, struggling or not being as good, I usually snap back pretty quick and go, hey, and you're welcome because it's good that it's going down and it needs to for us to get back to doing what we normally do. So, you know, the message has been to everybody that we've been talking to for the last few months that they're very fortunate to be in real estate. Um, you know, a lot of the people that watch our show are in the state of Texas, and there's no doubt that we're fortunate to be in Texas because it is one of the most stable real estate markets in the country. It is highly relocatable for corporations. And 
we just don't see any gray skies for us. Um, uh, you know, I've got, we're going to be talking about financing today and lending. And I got two of my uh, good friends uh, in the lending business that are going to talk to us about some of this stuff. Now, their conversations will be a little geared towards, well, it is a little tougher for them because, you know, their refis might be coming down and it's, it's their, their business is not as high as it normally is, but they're still going to tell you that there's a healthy a lifeline out there and there's nothing that's going to change that for us for a long time to come. So uh, the message is positivity uh, and I don't see it changing for any of us. In fact, I've told a lot of our crew that those who have been just come into the industry the last four or five years, they don't even know what a normal Saturday is. You know, a normal Saturday should be taking a buyer, showing them 10 to 12 houses, actually writing a contract later that day and moving into the process and getting paid 30 days later. That's actually normal. That's not what we've been seeing the last two years where someone says, hey, you need to be here at 643 and there's going to be 30 offers and you need to get yours in before seven. That's not normal. You know, it's not normal to, um, for someone like Richa that, you know, had to go put a bid on a $900,000 house and she has to go to 1.2 to have a chance. Now, those are not normal things. And even though we've thrived financially, this is living proof that money isn't everything. Sometimes financially is not uh, the best move for us as far as stability in our lives. I can tell you right now, personally, whatever I made in the last two or three years, I'd give a good chunk of it back if it would have returned some type of stability, okay? So we're gonna be talking about the current market as it stands, we're gonna be talking about where it's going, but we're gonna be talking about it from the financing side and the lending side of it, because these are the guys that are really the front line that bring you in and say, hey, look, this is where you're at, this is what you're looking at, and we're gonna have conversations about what does change if the interest rate goes from, you know, 6% to 8%? Where is the changes go? Because the bottom line is this. The housing market doesn't, well, it pauses, but a damn well doesn't stop completely because of the interest rate. Interest rates will never stop someone relocating from Atlanta, someone dying, someone becoming an empty nester. Those things don't change. Someone being promoted, those things always happen and always will, which means They'll always need a house. The only thing that typically changes when people buy houses is they might buy a smaller one than they wanted. Okay, so we're going to talk about all that. Want to introduce everybody I have off there onto my side. I got Mr. Phil Goff, really good friend of mine, uh, one of the lending buddies. Both these guys have changed companies recently, so I'm going to let them tell what their companies are because I can't remember either. <laughs> got my good buddy down there, Clint Ritchie. Uh, he too uh, is. Uh, well, I guess fairly new um, with a new company. Both these guys have been doing this a long time. They're super sharp. Uh, they are personal friends of our families uh, in uh, our actual SWR group. So we're happy to have them. And then I got, I always bring two of my crew on. I can't do the show by myself. In fact, they're usually a lot better at it than I am. It's great to have Rich. Rich has been with me for a long time. She's a long dear friend. She's super smart. I'd love to have her on the show. I'm so glad she's able uh, to make some time today. So, Richard, good seeing you. And then I got my good friend over there, Jamie McCarthy, who has been just a real bright spot for us in uh, uh, an agent that has come on board. Uh, you know, we get a lot of agents that come from other brokerages and other areas, and or whether they're brand new, but a lot of them at times don't necessarily thrive the way they want to or the way that we want them to 
and Jamie is about as pleasant of a, well, I was gonna say surprise, but it's not, uh, that we could have because it, those are the types of agents that you hope to bring on and, uh, you know, grow with because she instantly brings business on. She's capable of getting business any day and she's committed to it. And she's probably what they refer to as the, you know, 20% does 80% of the work out there. So Jamie, it's great to have you. We love having you on the team. You already know that too. So um, we're going to have you uh, chime in on a few things uh, from the agent perspective, along with Richa as we go through. Clint, start us off. Tell them where you tell them we work. Come on, you've been doing it. All that good stuff. You've done that before. Yeah. So uh, thanks, um, Robert. Um, I'm actually with the same group of guys that I've been with for probably 11 years. Um, the, the company's name is Click and Close Mortgage. Um, previously, we were actually Mid-America Mortgage, but right. we're, we're still the same spot. Um, our, our owner, Jeff Bodie, decided that he wanted to sell the retail division uh, or, or a great majority of the retail division. And with the, with the sale, he sold the name Mid-America. So uh, we had, at the time, we already had a uh, title company named Click and Close. Um, and so he just kind of rebranded it, but it's all the same spot, uh, same people, same products, same pricing, everything. And we're located in Addison right there off of Arapahoe and Spectrum. So, um, I personally have been in the business since, uh, 1998, <laughs> kind of dating myself. Yeah. I'm um, there too. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I grew up in a, I grew up in a house full of realtors actually. So, um, I've, I've seen it from all sides. Um, and I, I do think, um, and Phil probably can, in, um, can kind of, uh, corroborate this, this portion of it is, I think this is a perfect opportunity for not only realtors, but, uh, mortgage professionals, because the true mortgage professionals that have been in the business for a long time, um, know how to, uh, be proactive and generate business, not just, you know, wait for stuff to follow the trees, uh, is going to, is really going to be rewarded because you're going to see um more and more market share um as the you know some of the the thinning out of the ranks per se where you know some realtors you know fall out some of the lenders fall out um you know you, you're constantly hearing you know big you know uh corporate lenders uh, are letting go with a, a, a quite a few uh of their staff and so they're going to go into other industries and so the people that have been in it for a while got a good book of business but more importantly are constantly out prospecting your way out of situations like this are just going to be rewarded because you're going to get more and more market share. Um, and, and, and this is actually where the cream rises to the top because, um, you know, when I first got in the business, one of my mentors was Barry Habib and Barry Habib was always, you know, Hey, you're the mortgage professional, treat yourself as such. And not only just, you know, provide, you know, products and pricing and things of that nature, but also, you know, educate your clients in regards to why it's important to, you know, refinance or why it's important to, you know, do a, uh, you know, cash out and, and pay off credit cards. And why is it important to, you know, do a 15 year term or, you know, depending on what their long term range goals are. So, so those type of folks that have a wealth of knowledge in the industry that are, you know, mortgage, true mortgage professionals, just like real estate professionals. Uh, I think we're going to come out big on the end of this. So. Yeah. I love it, Clint. That's a great intro. And, you know, um, yeah, you said a couple of things that we're going to talk about today because, uh, one of the advantages of a market that thins out of it is that the better ones do tend to, to to make it through, you know, and lenders especially, you know, you guys, y'all don't, 
the times that y'all have been in it, 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 that's not, most of them usually are a year or so and they're gone and, or they never even got started. So I think it a lot of times uh, uh, reinvents that particular person and restabilizes that they should have been there in the first place. So uh, I think that's great. I got my buddy over here, Phil, he comes from a real estate family too. And you know, it's funny, the, the guys that come from real estate families in my experience in 22 or 23 years or whatever, and it's not just because they come from real estate families, but they tend to be the stronger folks that we deal with. You know, you can say it's inherited or what, but I personally think, especially with these two guys, Dad, I think it's that you just hear them so much that it's just hard for you not to gain some of the back end knowledge of it. So uh, we love having partners like that. Phil, tell them who you are, tell them where you've been, what you've been doing, all that good stuff. Awesome. Well, unfortunately, I'm turning into my father, but that's a separate. <laughs> Maybe that's a different podcast. I mean, I don't know. I like that. That's okay. <laughs> you know, my jokes are progressively getting worse. But um, <laughs> so my name's Phil Goff. Um, like, you know, unlike Clint, I, I'm actually, I'm newer to the industry than Clint. Clint's been around, you know. Clint's been around a long time. Well, it sounds like forever. No offense, Clint. Yeah. <laughs> hey, um, yeah. He so, should take that as a compliment. Yeah. Right. I'm with the Home Loan Experts, um, and it's a, it's a, um, a company that, that really drew me in just because of the processes they have. Um, I've been in the business about three years. Um, but, but what makes, I think me unique is that, um, I'm one class away from having a master's in accounting. Um, I was an accountant for 13 years. Uh, you share something in common? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, prior to doing lending, I was a controller of an oil and gas company. Um, so, um, my perspective is maybe different than a lot of other loan officers. And I'm, I'm finding that is very helpful not always for me and business wise, but it's very helpful for realtors. And, and uh, you know, that's, buying. that's part of the thing that I, um, so I too had the same job and I, uh, I always thought that people responded well, that I wasn't in your face sales gimmicky, but I did have a good business background and I was very nonchalant, you know, backed off. And yeah. I thought it helping, you know, me personally knowing you, I, I know that's how you are too. So I think there's a lot of truth to that. And I think some people respond, uh, to that type of mentality. And I think, you know, three years, first of all, that is a long time because a lot of the guys don't make it that long. And uh, I think a lot of people, my guess would be super comfortable that you have that type of background in what you're doing. So I think it's a good thing. I think it's a yeah. massive. Plus. Yeah. It's very relevant for right now. Um, yeah. and it, it, it homes back to what Clint said, about, Clint said about educating your client. And I think a lot of loan officers that came in in the, in the real high time that they don't necessarily know what they're doing. And they, yeah. they haven't taken the time to really think about economics. Um, I mean, well, I, you know, but, why are, why is things happening that are happening? What can you do? What should you do? What should you be evaluating? You know, that's yeah. And both of you, that's where y'all have a, we all have a lot of strengths, but, but both of y'all have that same strength of um, uh, identifying, being able to train and show somebody the way, even though y'all have different years of experience, y'all both are very good at saying, well, hey, look, this is the situation, you know, and both of you are not, you know, uh, you certainly have the good intention of that person on the other side of it, whereas a lot of lenders sometimes do not. So that's something that y'all share in common uh, as well. So uh, I'm just uh, love having both you guys introduce yourselves because uh, uh, we're going to enjoy the next uh, 30 or so minutes of talking with y'all. Basic conversation, and it should be easier for y'all, but when we have a, a lot of our core focused audience, our agents in the uh, first to fifth year. And 
we always tell everybody that we don't expect them to be experts in lending. You know, if that was the case, we'd make them go get the stupid license. You know, we don't expect that. But they do have to have a general knowledge of what those three primary third-party financing loans that we use are because it matters when we draft a contract and it matters when we analyze a contract what those financing pieces have on it. So there's three major theaters we look at. Of course, we look at the government back, you know, the FHA and the VA. And of course, I love the definition of conventional. It's everything that's not FHA or VA. But those are the choices we're giving most of the people out there. So Phil, we'll start with you and we'll go backwards since we went that way last time. Your general conversation when someone says, well, what loan should I have? You have a prepared, you know, you you do a, hey, look, which is best for you? What is it that you start them off with? And then a generic explanation if they say, well, what about this or what about that? You know, it's hard in lending because so much depends on each person's personal, like whether they're out with their credit, whether they're out with with how much money they make. Um, So much is leading up to what do you do for a living? Have you already owned a house? You know, there's just a lot to it. Um, generally, it, the way I look at it with FHA and, and conventional is is much by credit score. Um, yeah. What are your options? If you're a 660, 680 credit score and above, hey, you're doing great. You've made yeah. really good life choices. Um, conventional is on your plate. I mean, whether you can do it or not, um, it costs more upfront. But in the long run, you don't have to deal with mortgage insurance for the whole loan. So I love it. That's one of the things I want to talk about, too. Glad you brought yeah, that up. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So, you know, conventional is probably usually the best boat. Um, is the boat I would choose to be in if I had the option. Um, but for people that maybe it's their first time buying, they, they haven't, they don't have any equity to roll into a new home. It, it's hard to save up the down payments um, or they just have lower credit. Um, FHA is generally the best place to go um, kind of as a starter home. Um, you know, a lot of people go FHA to start and then they roll that equity that's going to be a big word of the day, equity, <laughs> how much is your house worth over what your interest rate is. Um, right. They'll use that to roll in and get a conventional later on and decrease their payments because they don't have to deal with the insurance. Um, yeah. VA is a different boat, honestly. So VA and FHA are both government loans. And I should clarify, and I didn't even ask you guys, uh, you know, a lot of y'all don't even specialize. Y'all don't even do it. So I want to make sure if you don't just uh, yeah. say just like that, go, well, it is a different. <laughs> even if you guys do it, it is still a different animal one way yeah. or the other, right? Well, I love VA loans, and I think, honestly, I think they're the best. I mean, it's a great option for people. Very helpful. I'm really glad the government does it, but it yeah, doesn't, it's not everyone, you know? Yeah, and, you know, the it's interesting. I'm going to let Clint talk about this in a minute, too, but I'll throw my two cents in. The, uh, the VA program itself was so noble in its, <clears throat> its intention. So a lot of people, if you don't realize why they created the VA program, uh, the VA program was initially created because, you know, we had people coming in that had either served the country or actually fought in foreign wars, and they were behind. They, they, they didn't have uh, the savings that most people have because they were fighting. Uh, they um, were obviously don't, had a very low-paying job for what they were doing, and it was hard for them to come back in. Well, the federal government found that to be pretty distasteful that someone had put their life on the line, no matter where they were or what they did, they weren't able, you know, to be equal with everybody else because they had to delay. So they tried to make things easier on them. And 
one of the things they did was they went in, they guaranteed a part of that note. They went in there and said, hey, look, we're going to guarantee 25% of this note. And you guys correct me if I'm wrong. I'm just going off the generic, but um, they're, we're going to guarantee 25% of that note. And the thought process behind that was, well, if to someone like Bank of America or Wells Fargo, if they're going to guarantee 25%, even if that bet defaults, we should be able to be made whole if we have to sell this house back off with the 25% guarantee. So why should we not lend to this person? It basically encouraged every bank that, hey, it's a veteran of the country. They should be given money. So that was a great part of the program. Uh, of course, the, the, the 25% put someone over a 20% equity stake. So they didn't have to have insurance, although we'll talk about the funding. I'd like to hear y'all's opinion of does that does the funding fee or whatever equal the amount they save on the uh, on the on the insurance premium. And then what a lot of people refer to as the the best benefit, even though the best benefit is the guarantee and the lack of the insurance premium. They're one of the few loans that can go a zero percent down, even though there are plenty of products out there conventional wise. They're all exception. This is the only one that said, hey, look, we don't, y'all don't have to have a lot of cash to be able to do that. So the program is noble in its inception. Now, the hardest part, especially in the last couple of years, is to see the veterans having to put those loans up and go up against multi-cash offers. And it's, yeah. it, that's been the hardest what to, what, what's right to do here. Because I think even the people that went with the cash offers I think it was tough on them because they were like, God, I don't want to do that to that other person. So, Clint, kind of back in the way and talk about um, those government loans, too. You've done this for a long time. You know the the ins and outs of those government loans, why they're yep. there, the goods and the bads. Talk a little bit about that. And then I'm going to let Rich and Jamie jo- join in on with what they think. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I concur with Phil. I, if you're a veteran, um, the vet, the VA loan is the best loan out there, period. No, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You know, the only caveat, uh, obviously, is, is if you don't have a partial disability, um, you got to pay the, the, the funding fee. Um, but, you know, the benefit relative to um, a conventional loan is it's 100% financing. And more importantly, it's more... Uh, more in line with the FHA rates, right? FHA rates are typically lower than a conventional rate. Now, obviously, the the caveat to FHA is you, you have upfront mortgage insurance, but more, more most importantly, you have monthly mortgage insurance. Um, you know, for and, and unless you put ten percent down, they've now can't. You know, uh, I guess it was what two years ago, two and a half years ago, three years ago. They they. Uh, said if you put less than uh, 10% down that you have mortgage insurance for the life of the loan. Um, so so copy on that. I want to ask you, do you guys know what I, 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 I've been kicking my head trying to figure out why would, why'd they do that? What was the purpose of it? I mean, why would they take, make it harder for somebody? Well, so it, it started back in, you know, we've had a carryover effect per se. So obviously we had the mortgage crisis. 2008, 2009, and there was a lot of uh, homes that went into foreclosure. And so what happened was Jenny May, who backs uh, the government loans, FHA and VA, uh, and um, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, they had an abundance of inventory that they they basically had to take losses on. You know, obviously they lost billions of dollars. And so 
as uh, as with anything with the government, it took a little bit for them to realize the total the totality of how much money was lost. And so they basically tried to lower their um, their risk uh, moving forward because they that's didn't, the best explanation I've heard. It, yeah, I, they I, couldn't they couldn't afford to take any more they couldn't afford to take any more risks while they were still trying to get pennies on the dollar for all the the houses that um, basically got dumped back into their laps where people just walked away. Uh, and so you know, just with anything, it's just it's a, it's a process of. You know, and, and uh, as we know, the government doesn't move fast, really. Uh, and so it, they just—they've tried to mitigate their risk as much as the risk as much as possible. And typically, Phil can confirm this: is when you're dealing with someone that's an FHA borrower, you know, you're dealing with—you know—I'm not going to say marginal credit, but lesser credit than a conventional borrower. So that—that that in itself has more risk. Um, and they have, you know, some bumps and bruises on their credit, you know, you know, maybe a medical collection or something. And so from a from an investor standpoint, you know, it, it would be just like you, Robert, if, if, if you know, if you if you were going to lend me money and my credit score was 620 and I had some bumps and bruises on my credit report um, and you were but you were going to give me three hundred thousand dollars to buy a house relative to Phil, who had a seven hundred credit score and perfect payment history. You're going to feel a lot more comfortable lending to, to Phil than you are to me, regardless yes. of how good my story is. And yeah. so, uh, you know, it's just a it's just a way for the investor to lessen risk per se. Because at the end of the day, uh, what people have to realize is, you know, <laughs> this isn't a nonprofit business, right? Fannie yeah. Mae, Jenny Mae, Freddie Mac—they're in the—they're in it to make uh, money, and they're in, more importantly, they're in it to sell. Uh, you know, to buy these uh, uh, mortgage-backed securities on Wall Street. And right. uh, if they're not performing, then uh, that's when rates really start going up. Uh, you know, I wanted so. to talk about the um, kind of the same thing I did with the VA, the purpose of the FHA. And, you know, for those of you who are watching, you know, a lot of times this, it's a talk show and, and we're, 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 we're talking blah, blah, blah. But you really should be paying attention because we're trying to make a couple of big points for you here. We're trying to establish why that VA note was created. And now we're gonna basically say why the FHA note was created, because it's interesting too. So the United States government, they backed the, uh, uh, the uh, an FHA note by insuring it, not guaranteeing it. So it's two separate things that they do. Now, I think a lot of people would argue that the VA uh, motion of the government is a lot more favorable than the, the insuring because the government is basically making you pay for their insurance. But here's the reason why that FHA loan was created. And, and, and it's brilliant, too. A ways back, they started realizing that there were a lot of people in this country who made decent money, had good credit scores, no late charges or anything like that, no late hits on, on their credit or anything. And they just had a lot of debt. And they're like, well, because of the debt ratio, they just wouldn't let them have it. Well, yeah, I don't think it takes an expert that majority of this country has a high level of debt. A, a, debt rate, a high debt ratio is probably not uncommon for the average American. And they realized this years ago and they're like, hey, look, it has always been the American dream for someone who works hard, that's doing what they're supposed to do, to be able to own a house. Clearly, these people who have debt for whatever reason, some of it's justified, why can't they own one? So what they did was they made that debt ratio more flexible on that FHA note to where it said, hey, look, if you're in that situation, you should still 
be able to buy a home. And that, that is why the FHA is a very popular option for so many people out there because they do have good credit and good jobs, but their debt's excessively high. But if they've proven over time that they pay it and they pay it on time, then why should they not be able to own a home? That was something that was significant. And just like the VA, you know, most people point to the FHA, the reason why it's so, um, you know, advantageous for a buyer is that it's the lowest down payment. It's like a three and a half percent down payment. But the truth is the the real great part, just like the VA note is the quiet one. It's, it's the fact that uh, there's a higher debt ratio out there and allows more people to purchase the homes. I want to bring in my guys on those conversations because it comes into their play. And I'm going to let Richie handle the convention side. I'm going to let Jamie, Jamie, you're not going to talk about the FHA side in a real general format. You've done this long enough to know that if you've got a buyer that is going to purchase a home and they fit the FHA requirement where it's better for them to be FHA, but they could go conventional if they want to. You and I both know that if we're going to go put that offer, that, that conventional one looks better than the FHA, right? Yeah, absolutely. Every time. Yeah. And, you know, we're <laughs> especially in this market. Yeah. Well, I mean, then let's talk about what we've seen. I mean, do we think that in the last four years or so, the FHA loan had a real good chance to be chosen? Well, in all of my transactions in the last two years, I've never seen FHA come Yeah, that's, that's a good way to answer that. So look, she's been in for that amount of time and I love her answer there because uh, she didn't answer it the way I thought. She answered it better. She, she basically just went right over the shot of no, she just said, well, I've been doing it this time and I hadn't seen it yet. So that, that's even more dramatic because that's a true statement. A lot of those loans didn't go that way because they just didn't have the chance. Well, even the conventional notes sometimes didn't have a chance because of the market that we had in place. So I love that comment in there. You know, Jamie, we want them to have FHA if that's what they want. We want them to have a lower down payment if if, if, it, if it's capable. But a lot of times that's the back end knowledge that we have to have when we go back and talk to Phil or Clint. They might have suggested it, but someone like you sometimes has to go and go, hey, look, you know, Phil, that's that's probably not going to work. I go, we're probably going to have to fix that, you know, and make it more attractive because they're not going to get that offer. We see that every once in a while, don't we? There's just too many variables that I think um, sometimes a new home buyer or an inexperienced lender or sometimes inexperienced real estate agent don't account for. There are so many moving parts in the ability for a client to purchase a home and like having a trifecta team that is working, right? Your lender, your, um, uh, your real estate agent, the title company, everybody needs to know exactly what they're doing to make sure that the the ease for the for that transaction which is, is a tall there. order right for all three. which is a very tall order right that requires three people to have really high integrity in their jobs and truly have the servant's mentality to be an advocate for your client i love it i right? love that so comment. it's not about just okay yeah if an fha loan is going to get accepted or a conventional yes but the reasoning behind it is generally as with any government funded anything any policy there is just so much more red tape. 
there is a lot of pushback and there's a lot of boxes that you have to check that feel very um uh, what's the word? Um, I got it. And I know where you're going with it. Uh, it. It just, it's like, okay, well, I can't move box A to B until C to D is in order. I'm in like, there, there's just, I'm like, no, that's not my job. I, I can only tech, check off the box for box A. So you brought up a good point. You know, I want to talk to you, uh, you and Jamie about this. The, well, that causes time delays. And absolutely. literally the, 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 the biggest thing in real estate, time is of the essence. I mean, that just should be plastered on everybody's head. That yeah. applies for that applies for lenders. That applies for title companies. That applies for real estate agents. Right. When it comes and if to time the, can't be on my side because I have a bunch of red tape for my client to have to go through as a lender, right? I'm losing right. out, and which is why an FHA loan sometimes doesn't get chosen. Bill, it's unfortunate. I, those uh, government restrict those loans. Are the restrictions, in fact, a little tougher than the conventional note? I want a generic comment. Uh, is the FHA and, and and VA appraisals inspection process are they tougher than a conventional? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Hey. So absolutely. I was that's just gonna. Y'all both said it at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> no. I was gonna say that's the why real estate agent is not lying, guys. The people that yeah. give you the money are telling you the truth. It is a. Yeah. It's difficult. Not impossible. It's difficult, well, but again, if you have people that have been in the business and have experienced the multitude of cycles, and you guys have said both in your homes, seen the real estate transaction part of it, right? Like the agent transaction part of it, it helps. It brings a symbiotic relationship. This is a moving, living, breathing organism that needs to be pushed across the finish line. It's 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 breathing all right. Clint, what are some of those uh, what are the, some of those terrible things that we start seeing in those restrictions that can cause us? Well, it, well, l let me go back to what Richard was saying, which is 100 percent accurate in that. Um, and, and it's more important when you're a prospective buyer or uh, seller that you align yourself with a, a realtor that has um, a, uh, a team um, of, of people, i.e. a lender, per se, that. Um, they can communicate back and forth. So uh, example, you know, like, you know, with every one of my uh, realtor partners that I work with, we, we, we talk about, you know, the actual property itself and what are the, you know, for example, is it a rural property? Does it have a, a, a well and septic? Um, you know, we had one just pop up the other day is, Hey, can we write this? Is this going to be a farm and ranch loan or can we write this on a, a one to four contract? And so, uh, and then more importantly, the lender and the realtor have to be on the same page and communicate all throughout the transaction before so that when you go back to your client, um, you're on the same page and both of you guys are saying the same things. Right. And because uh, uh, clients want the assurity to know that, OK, I'm not only am I dealing with a, a, a real estate expert, but I'm dealing with a lending expert um, and they're on the same page. And so, you know. I, I, because, you know, trust is built with small cap promises, right? Yep. So if we're all on the same page, this is going to make that uh, that client feel more comfortable throughout the transaction. But back to what you were saying, some of the hiccups on FHA and VA are, and typically VA is a little bit more um, stringent because they're still a little antiquated in their, some of their policies. I, I love that word. I love because that that is a true statement and it's usually the only negative thing I refer to the VA. And I say the same thing. It's a little antiquated. Yeah. So, uh, you know, obviously <clears throat> when the, uh, the VA program was uh, originated, it was back in, you know, probably the, you know, late fifties, early sixties. Um, and so <clears throat> a lot of it was, we were still painting houses with lead based paint. 
So um, <laughs> they they put something out there in regards to if there's any chip paint, right? Doesn't matter, and this is still true to this day that it has to it has to not only be scraped, but it has to be completely scraped, uh, sealed, and repainted. Well, I, I don't know. I'm not a, a house building expert or a painting expert, but I, I would I would pretty be pretty safe to say that we haven't used lead based paint in probably 20 years. So you know that's kind of antiquated. Um, wait, wait, that's a great guess. So I have I have I have a personal thing. You're right. I um, that's actually one of the biggest points I'm trying to make. So we we teach people that they have to fill out this lead based paint addendum, which is another piece of paperwork in a yeah a transaction that already has too much paperwork. I've done it for 22 years now. I do not remember one out of the 4,000 that I've done myself. God forbid the amount my team's done. I don't remember one that ever said, yes, I have it. Yes, I, I have had it. Never. So yeah. there has to be some CYA situations oh, here. No I mean, that's it's And again, and I think it's CYA for both people, right? It's oh. not just for the lender. It's also for the homeowner, right? No. Like, okay, then I am not moving into a housing health hazard that is going to jeopardize. And most people generally no, she's right. purchasing you know homes. Y'all y'all are right. You know what I want though? I want a lightning disclosure. I want a lightning disclosure that says I can get struck by lightning tonight to death in the sun. I mean, that's what this shit's almost on. It's almost like, hey, hey or that your inspection is only valid for that one day. Yeah. If it or, falls, if the roof falls off the next day, it is not on the inspector. Yeah. Or we're in North cool. Texas and and there's a there's a hell disclosure if your house gets hit, hit so, with hell. So how far are we off from that? I mean seriously. Yeah, I mean, I, God, I, yeah it's 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 a little crazy. The other part it's is, a, is it's a it's a deep murky tunnel that I don't think anybody wants to go yeah. down. I don't. Yeah, and the other the other one that's antiquated that VA does is they require a termite inspection, right? Yeah. I mean it's a little more practical than the lead based paint thing, but uh, you know it's like. Everyone, I, I mean, that's I, a big I, problem here in Texas. Why? Well, yeah. So I have a question, I, and just to show you, I, I, you know, I'm, I expertise in this material, but I have to remind myself too. Are we still? Is the seller still paying for the WDI, or are they not? I don't even know anymore. No, they're not. No, okay. no, the borrower has okay. got to pay for it. Okay, that's good. So, so those are the two big things. FHA and Freel, correct me if I'm wrong. FHA is a little bit more lenient. Um, yeah. The main thing that they say is the house just has to be habitable. Okay. And so <laughs> habitable meaning no, no, well, it, you know, it's a very, it's, what hey, a standard. Yeah. What I, a yeah. standard. Yeah, as, as, if, as, as if anybody in North Texas or in Texas period is going to buy, buy a house that's not habitable. Right. Um, and habitable meaning by whom raccoons or uh, yeah, that's yeah. exactly what they look at. Is there species on the carpet? Is there a hole in the roof? I mean, any that exposed is- wires, any broken windows, any missing, okay. uh, any missing uh, roof tiles um, or, you know, stuff like that. So and that the, stuff is, is ridiculous. Those are legitimate line items to make sure exposed wire. I mean, first of all, with conventional <laughs> cash, whatever, you shouldn't be purchasing a home with exposed wire, period. Right. But again, there has to be some formal way to document these line items to make sure that, okay, if something does go wrong in the future, we can come back and fall back and look at it like, hey, the house was in XYZ condition and is there fraud or did the seller lie or, you know, what happened? And there has to, I don't disagree that these line items have to be there, 
but some of them are there and they feel like painful red tape. And what's happening is that the entire reason that you created the FHA and VA loan, the, the, the intent or the goodwill, some of it gets lost because then that person is just feels so burnt out by the end of the oh, process. Look, you're right. So I'll give you an example. One of the worst ones that I ever saw was in Flower Mound, which those of you who watch across Texas, Flower Mound's a, a large northern suburb of Dallas, Fort Worth. <clears throat> uh, I saw a house that is on a third of an acre, and the house went VA, inspected fine, but the, the VA appraiser comes back and says, hey, look, the, the, the shed window is going to have to be fixed. I go, that decrepit piece of of shit back there in the corner that's like a third of an acre away that has nothing to do with the house that nobody's been into because they're scared because it's haunted that you want that window to be fixed for this loan to go that's ridiculous that stuff there that's where rich is right well she's always right but that where she's really right that's so ridiculous that that ends up and that's where you get into it with these uh you know these appraisals sometimes you kind of shrug your shoulders and go you can't tell me that that's how you define that piece of the rule on the inspection you know phil how, how they, they get pretty subjective on some of those things don't they so oddly enough back in back in my day before i went to accounting school i, w- I was a residential appraiser oh, um, great so, what have you not done Phil, like uh, yeah, exactly. it way. feels like you're a jack of all trades phil i forgot that if you have time, and it's okay if you don't, we're doing, as soon as we end this one, our 12 o'clock is appraisals, and the appraiser I had couldn't make it. So if you want to, you can come on that one. If you can't, don't worry about it. But it's I got a hot minute, but I, I can give some generic answers along with just what I see in lending too. But I just, I didn't, and so sure, I'm fine to do that. Um, yeah. What I'll say about the FHA is um, they're much harder on the appraiser. They have a rule set. So, to me, when I was an appraiser, I felt like it was really needless. Um, you actually have to go get FHA like licensed, right? Um, for me, it doesn't have anything to do with the value of the home, but but they do make you do things like turn the water on and off and, and check to see that the heater, the hot water is running, um, like flush all the toilets. You have to, if they get in the attic, you have to crawl underneath the, the crawl space. Um, things I had no interest in doing if I didn't have to. Um, <laughs> Jamie, but, that's like a good job for you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> just go look and see just, no. if there's any snakes under there, you know? <laughs> yeah, but it, it's not it's, a bad thing, you know? I mean, I know we're, I, I'm not trying to not poo poo on FHA or do it either way. I think in general, it's not a bad program, but I think when you are up against conventional buyers, the, the seller should know that the appraisal of the FHA unit can come back in a different way than, than the appraisal for no no and phil you you said it you said it perfect oh we got clint back here uh you said it perfect that's exactly my 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 thought process i don't want anybody who wants to go fha or va to feel like that's not the route we want them to go i want them to go there but you're right if i'm on the selling side of it the listing side of it i am going to tell and i still do to this day i do tell my seller hey look it's it's rare but they could find something on that inspection process that's going to be after we've already agreed to repairs and you're not going to have a choice. You're going to have to fix it. It's rare. It doesn't happen at your cost. Yeah. At your uh-huh. cost. Right. And there's nothing you can do about it. You either don't do it and this thing fails 
and it's after we already went through it's but it, it, it is rare it doesn't happen but it is a reality i mean we'd be lying to them if we didn't say that you know jamie have you dealt what well, you already answered that you you haven't seen any um of those government loans where that's become a problem which go ahead go ahead well i've, I've done a couple of the v or the yeah the va loans but not fha and, but and, I mean, it was minor stuff on inspection, having to do with termites and fencing, touching the building, like real small stuff like that. It was never anything major. Yeah, you know, uh, Jamie, I love your, I love your statement, your first statement, because it, it's a bigger point than you think. We have an industry filled with real estate agents who really have, you know, their their focus is on conventional because that's what we see over the last four or five years. And that's the expertise that's out there. These are very few homes that you can afford otherwise. And they're not no. in the in the areas where the majority of the public, the population of the DMV no. is living in. Conversation. You've been, pri those, those, unfortunately, those people have been priced out. Hey, Phil, Clint. It's like a double-edged sword. It's just like, it's like a domino effect that just keeps going. And eventually the average home buyer cannot purchase their home that they so were going to be able to buy. Bill, yes. Clint, do you guys worry about that sometimes? Because she's right. I, I do worry that we move to where this becomes to where the average American cannot purchase a home. Do you ever think we get to that point? Yes, in, in Texas. Um, so this is an economic question, right? I mean, it, it feels it, it very much like- It can go a lot of different ways. It can go, from, there's no right yeah. answer here right from now. Macroeconomics, our area is a growing area because one, people feel safe. Um, they're moving away from areas like Chicago, like New York, places where they feel they're going to, companies are moving away from these areas where they don't feel safe for their employee. Guess where they're coming? Coming here. Um, we have a housing shortage, which the government has not at all shown any interest in helping fix. Um, they still have problems with people buying land and how they divide out that land and getting zoning and, and, and builders having the ability to build. We have a problem with builders finding workers. We have a problem with builders finding supplies. So, you know, all this, all this interest and everything that's a problem, that's, that's, or not interest, the uh, um, inflation <laughs> causing problem with our interest rates. That's just one facet. We have a we have a massive shortage shortage of housing, and that to me is the biggest problem because what's going to happen. That's great. That's a great response. Anybody's watching today, especially uh, you know, we bring Jamie and Rich on because they're higher profile agents, and we want their clients to see that they're involved in a lot of the stuff that we do, but everybody else that's watching, the general information that both Clint and Phil have given, super right on the money with what we globally could be looking at in a few years. You know, Phil, I love, I love that response because what also is, is, is incorporated into that is you have people that are moving from those cities that are typically used to having a high dollar home and they yep. come here and they buy up the higher dollar homes and there's not as many out there. And it does make you wonder whether at some point we get to where we're having an issue. You know, one thing, and this is good, hopefully you and Clint love this because I've been pressing it for the longest time. My investors don't like it and I always hesitate whether I say it because we do represent a lot of investors, but this past year, this is the first time in my career where I ever wrote political officials and I said, hey, look, if you guys don't stick your hands in this, it's going to get out of hand. One of the things I think is desperately needed, and this is, a, you guys, this is a good uh, endorsement for y'all. I, 
I think they ought to go to the HUD system to where they start saying, hey, look, for the first 30 days, it has to be a, an owner-occupant, and they should have first choice. And if they can't buy it, then the conventional and the investor, oh, not the conventional, the cash investor comes in. I actually think they need to push those cash investors off um, to secure what most people can afford. Because if they don't, you look at all those homes, like those, those places like Orchard and all the other ones that are buying homes because of cash, that's going to get out. You're going to get to where five people are able to purchase homes, and that's not the way it was designed. Yeah, but there's, but the, but the amount of companies, the amount of corporations that do these type of large, like REIT or whatever type investments, right? People are those companies coming in here and buying entire swaths of neighborhoods. That's my point. Do, do we? How do are we you going to stop, stop that? Right? Well, you can stop the bleeding. You can. Well, you you stop can. By paying cash. You stop my. You stop by saying cash is twenty yeah. days later. That's how you stop yeah. it. I, I know I'm right. HUD did it. HUD did it because they were having that problem on the investment side. When they were when they were selling off their home, they'd have an right. investor go in there. And the whole purpose yep. was to give it to a first-time home buyer. But they had investors go in there. So they said, no, you have to wait 20 days. They and really the, need to bring it the whole way through. Well, and then to go back to the the origination of the FHA that you were talking about, right? The, the initial inception came about after the Great Depression, right? There was a huge lull in the American population and their ability to be able to function. Right. So that's yeah. when it came about. Right. That's yeah. when HUD created the FHA part portion of it. Right. Because yeah. prior to that, it was these massive down payments and these huge balloon payments that people were paying off previously. That's not the case anymore. But again, they, the government saw the need to one to, for lenders to feel like, OK, they're going to be insured in making loans. So then, it, you know, incentivizing them to make more loans to more people. Interest rates were lower, so more people were incentivized to purchase, right? So it was it was a way to boost the economy, to get things going. It was to jumpstart, you know, the little paddles that you use in in a heart attack case, right? Well, that's right. Yes. So it worked. Yeah. But yes, yeah, some version of that, maybe you're right. We're not in a Great Depression. Knock on wood. Hopefully yeah. we don't get to any version of that. Like that would be very, very sad for, yeah, for, for, for Keller, people's livelihoods. Yeah. Gary Keller has been very voiceful about the government, the government's primary tools with their monetary policy and how strong they are. And he's also been on the record for stating that, and I thought this was a brilliant statement, that inflation is the greatest threat to any democracy because it, it, it truly is, it, it's what erases the, 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 the middle and the, and, and the lower class. And completely. They, yeah, completely obliterates them. Because they're the ones that feel the pinch. That's right. right? Even, Think about a, a, a four a four too. family yeah a four member home right parents and two kids home right like they're middle uh, middle America or um, no you got it middle, uh, America. middle America and like low income homes a gallon of milk cannot go from three dollars to six dollars a gallon that affects so, their bottom line so they cannot afford too? to provide that type of basic level nutrition right if you're having to do penny pinching between I'm yeah. talking basic goods. I'm not talking, you no, know, no, the frivolous I, I, Gouda I, cheeses of the world. I'm talking milk, bread, fruit, vegetables, meat. I mean, staples. Can you go eat? Staples yeah. of survival. Home yeah, did, and food. Have you looked at your receipts when you go out recently? Have you noticed weird ass charges on them? That you go next time you go somewhere, read the receipt and watch. There'll be some type of weird charge if you ask them. 
they'll be like, well, hey, look, that's to compensate for the supply chain. I mean, there is at some point. Okay, well, and the the unnecessary forcing me, like, you know, when you get to pick the tip option, 45%. Why would I pay you 45% to do your job? I mean, it's right. it's it, it's a it's a not the right place. You know, it's funny. What I love about but our they show, need we, it. Always it, we always do it live and we never have it scripted. And it goes a lot of different ways. I didn't think it would end this way, but I loved it. I love the way you guys came to a bigger issue, but it also supports the lending side of it that we do need to adjust this to get people to where they are encouraged to borrow money and, and they're able to get it if they need it, if they meet the qualifications that they uh, that they have good credit and that they have a good job. And I believe it needs to, to, to be there. You know, um, Jamie still, deal, and, and Richard too, Richard, uh, and I say this many times, Richard practices the way she wants to, and she picks the houses a lot of times that she's doing, and she might not do as much of a range of um, mid-houses to high-dollar houses. Jamie does all of them. You know, Jamie, we want those clients to be able to choose what they want and be able to actively go into it, and I think one thing you're going to really enjoy, and Richard has seen this already, but the next few years, you, you really should start seeing it easier for your buyers. I think it's going to be they're going to have more of a choice. The higher it has to be. This is not sustainable. This yeah, is not a sustainable model right. in any way. Well, it's not. can I make a, a just an overall Please. point? Okay, yeah. so what Rich is saying, right? So we have a problem with inflation. It doesn't seem to be going away. One way they're dealing with it is raising the interest rates to, to eliminate buyers that maybe they feel aren't ready for the market or, or shouldn't be. They're trying to they're trying to bring the value of our dollar back, trying to help fix supply chain. Good luck. <laughs> right. Well well if they're if their way of doing this, which it is, is to slow down building, well that's just going to drive prices higher. So what's going to happen is you're going to have higher higher interest rates you're seeing. Um, and you're going to see higher sales prices on homes. And and Rich, I would not expect that to end anytime soon. So yeah, you're right. Um, if you can buy a house right now, even do it it's high, you must do it in our area because sales prices are just going to get higher. They slowed down because they went up 41% in one year. So there was a natural slowdown, maybe even a drop. Yeah. It continue to go up. Yeah, so, but at this rate, your children 20 years yeah. from now, 30 years from now, will not be able to purchase a home. No, no you're right. You can refinance a house in three years and change your interest rate, but you will not be able to buy that house in three years. It'll be $100,000 more than it. You wouldn't. You wouldn't. And again, it's not like people's uh, incomes are incrementally adjusting to the housing inflation or the cost of goods inflation. That yeah. that doesn't happen. It's a multi-factor big problem that they It is. It's a very big, messy so. web of a problem, and it does not have one solution. But all of them have to be acknowledged and looked at when a person, a client, is coming into the market, going back to the very beginning, to setting foot into the industry, right? Setting foot into this, dipping their toe into the process of purchasing a home. Well, it is not a, it's not just, I have the money, I have uh, XYZ down payment and my lender said I could afford this. Okay, yeah. sure. But there's so many other things like that, that are gonna be dictating where you live. Like if you have children, drive time to school, your work. Right, if you're driving 50, 60 miles to work versus 30 miles to work, 20 miles to work, that gas, that cost, that adds up. You so have to be able to have too. that perspective. People that are an hour and a half out there are driving in because of COVID conditions. They cannot afford it otherwise. That's uh, And it's not just the influx of high income or high dollar sales price people, right? People, I think people from LA, New York, California are getting a bad rap. People sure. in Texas, through COVID have realized they're not willing to make compromises on their home anymore. 
Like I have lived without a pool or I've lived with a small pantry. I've lived with a small kitchen or I've lived with a lack of second bedroom or third bedroom that I can use as a flex space. And people are even Texas, regular Texans are being like, no, I will not. And if there isn't enough supply and enough no, demand, I then I can't believe I, I wish we had another three hours. This, this has been one of the <laughs> best financial conversations. And I do a lot of these and I'm on a lot of these. Uh, this has been one of the best financial conversations uh, I've seen in a long time. So I'm, I'm going to kind of wrap things up um, with a couple summaries. One, you know, anybody uh, who watches, you know, if, if they're watching with for Jamie or Richa, it should be obvious their level of competence in what they're doing and what they're surrounded by and that you're in good hands uh, with these people. Plus, that's why we started bringing, Rich has always been a, a co-host, but we started um, a few months ago bringing people like Jamie on because we want to highlight our agents and say, hey, look, this one is someone who you're lucky if you got them. So I'm glad that both of you guys uh, made the time. Phil and Clint, your knowledge, God, it just, I, I'd be lying if I didn't say I'm just super impressed by the dialogue. I did not think it was going to go that route. I thought it'd be more basic and I'd have been happy with that. But I really, when I send this one out, I'm probably going to label it. Hey, look, this is something you really probably want to watch from a generic finance standpoint. Before we go, I want both you guys uh, just repeat uh, your, your contact, your name and your contact information. When I post the show, I'll put it on there too, but I want both y'all to do it. And then I'm going to tell everybody goodbye. Okay. Phil, go ahead first. Okay. So my email address is insane, but my name is Phil Goff. <laughs> I work for the Home Loan Experts. <laughs> so my email is phil.goff, G-O-F-F, at thehomeloanexpert.com. Okay. Number, cell? Uh, yes, my cell phone is 325-267-0433 and call me at any time. Okay. That is a good agent that is willing to lend out his cell phone number yeah. to have people text uh, you. I got, to pay my text you. I got inflation in my house also. Clint, you know? <laughs> go ahead and give me yours too, buddy. Yeah, it's uh, Clint Ritchie with, uh, and that's R-I-C-H-E-Y. Uh, and that's with, uh, I'm with Click and Close Mortgage. That's uh, C-L-I-C-K, the letter N, Close Mortgage. My email is clint.ritchie at clickandclose.com. Or you can just go to richiemortgageteam.com and all my info is on there. And I do also use my cell because you got to be available, 972-679-1028. Yeah, I want to thank everybody. Like I said, that's a great informative show, well beyond what I would have thought. And honestly, there are some shows we do, I'm like, well, that's what was expected. But there are others that I'm like, that's fantastic. So great job. Look, I want to thank everybody out there for watching. As already said, this is one that you probably not only want to watch for yourself, but say, hey, look, you should you should share it and say, you guys should watch this if you're having uh, some understanding issues with what is currently going on. So thanks for watching. We appreciate the uh, constant um, dedication to the show. Uh, we will be back uh, next week with a new topic. Phil, did you get the second link when I sent um, earlier, or did I only give you the one? I've only got one, but go ahead and send it through. And I'll, I'm going to send uh, you the other one so you can come back at, at 12. Gary, I'll see you. Uh, uh, Clint, I'll see you in a, uh, a little bit later. Rich, are you coming back on? And Jamie, you got to get going. Jamie, you're you're late. You need to go. I'll see you. You're, you're on already. Bye. Okay. We'll see you, everybody. Take care. Have a good one. All right. Bye. Bye.